Thank you so much, Bruce. Uh, and uh, whoa, wow, okay. Kath, write an extra check there for that if you would. Okay, good deal, thanks. We can, well, just slowly taking it apart piece by piece, thanks. Um, I do want to say, and you may or may not know this, Bruce, Randy Sterling is now serving as an elder in a church down in the San Diego area. Randy's, Randy's doing great despite the head injury that you gave him. Um, and I was way in the back of the pack because uh, I was only about in third grade when he was in high school, so uh, I, 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 I can't, be, can't be too blamed for that. Maybe you, like me, are a guest here. You've already found out a couple of things about, you know, you can find out something about a church just by walking through the doors, just by shaking a couple of hands, just by keeping your eyes peeled. And if you are here like me, you probably already spotted, number one, this is a family. Uh, I love the way you all greet one another and speak to one another and care for one another. You also noted that these folks really love to worship God with a great praise band up here and the singing that was coming from the congregation so if you're here in this community and you're looking for a place, maybe, maybe you just happened to, to try this church out. Maybe somebody invited you today. I hope you've already discovered that this is a place that loves God and loves people. And aren't those the two things that God told us to do, right? Love God. Yeah, give, let's give the Lord a hand. That's a good thing. I am thrilled to be able to be here. I, I need to, uh, to check a box, and that is I want to let you know that on behalf of Pepperdine University, we are thankful that uh, this is a congregation that in past has come, some of you, and enjoyed something called the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Uh, PBL, as we sometimes call it, takes place in May of each year. And this year, we're excited that we're going to be talking about five Old Testament books that don't normally get a lot of coverage. Five Scrolls for Robust Living, I think is the, the title. And we're going to be talking about books like Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, the beautiful story of the book of Ruth. We'll also be talking about the Song of Solomon. So there, there are a number of books we'll be diving into, but the good news is there will be over 250 speakers brought from all across the country to present at the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. It begins on Tuesday evening. Go to the next slide, if you would, Kason. It begins on Tuesday evening, the first Tuesday in May. And I want to say that's the 5th, 4th. Somebody will look it up on their phone and they'll let me know. Either that is the 2nd. Anyway, the first Tuesday in May starts that Tuesday night and then runs Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Bob Goff is one of our guest speakers who wrote the wonderful little book, Love Does. Peter Enns is coming to speak for us. Dudley Rutherford, who uh, preaches up at Shepherd of the Hills Church, will be there speaking as well. And again, we want to invite you. Somebody says, wow, what does it cost? Well, here's the good news. Uh, the cost for four days of lectures is a total of 30 bucks. That's the whole deal. If you want to come up and stay... We've got a place in Malibu there on campus. All our dorms are empty. And so you can stay for all four days, have all your meals, and it's a total of just 150 bucks. So for some, I'm, that may be the anniversary trip you've been looking for. Hey, baby, I'm taking you to Malibu. Uh, but whether you can come up for a day or come up for several days, I want to give you an invite. Bruce did mention the work that Pepperdine's engaged in in raising up the next generation of young speakers, or rather of young Christian leaders, and I noted that in just a couple of weeks, didn't you say, Keith, the young people here are going to be leading in the worship. That's awesome. 
I want to invite the high schoolers and college students to consider letting Pepperdine give you a little help in your presentation, maybe not for this year, but in years to come, through something we do called the Next Gen Preacher Search. It is an open invitation to high school and college students to submit a five-minute video of themselves preaching or teaching. You can just shoot it with your phone. And what we do is we get ministers from all over the country to review those five-minute lessons, give them some encouragement and some, uh, you know, some direction, and then we select about two dozen of them, and we invite them for free for two and a half days of teaching and preaching training at what we call the Next Gen Preacher event. This year, Mike Cope, uh, Randy Harris from ACU, myself, uh, Ben Williams, who's a professor at Boise Bible College, all came, and we spent two and a half days of coaching and training. And if you're wondering, well, I mean, you got 17-year-olds up preaching and teaching? If you want to hear something great, check out the Facebook site, Next Gen Preacher Search, and you'll find videos there. There's like 80 of them of students from all over the country doing an awesome job preaching and teaching about God's Word. So please keep us in your prayers as Pepperdine University continues to follow the tradition that George Pepperdine set of making sure that excellence in education and a commitment to spiritual faith and values are connected. And wherever it is that your students are heading for college, I know that for those who live close here, you'll be supportive, but be praying about Christian ministries all over the country who address that important age of college students so many students, there was a statistic, and yeah, I'll tell you the stat, but I'm hoping it's not true, that 50% of the students who've been church-going Christian kids up until they graduate from high school, when they graduate from high school, during the next four years, half of them will walk away from their faith, will stop going to church, will kind of leave Jesus behind in high school. Now, I know that's not the case with your kids here, but when I looked at the stats all across the country, it was like, wow, we, we need to be making sure that we prepare our kids for that specific time and place when mom and dad may no longer be there to say, all right, Bruce, get out of bed, you know, you're getting to church, and instead they're on their own, that we are encouraging, supporting, and getting them in colleges where they can be fed and nurtured in Christ as well as in math and sciences and English and everything else. So... Let's just take a second and just pray for that, and then we'll get into our lesson. Will you join me in prayer? God, a few moments ago, we saw a bunch of sweet little children head off to classes. Lord, I look out on this audience, and I see young people, and it's so exciting to see them here. But Father, I know that there is so much in this world that wants to pull our young people away from faith. God, may we not only be focused on being here and worshiping ourselves, but on reaching out to young people in our community and giving encouragement and support, even as this church does, to the young people of our congregation, of our families. God, I pray for the future preachers and teachers that are right in this room, that may right now be 10 or 11 or 19 or 21, but God, whom you are shaping for ministry, Lord, I, I pray for the next Keith Doolittles and Bruce Rokuses and, and Catherine Wallings and others who will, who will be raised up as teachers, preachers, godly Christian leaders, men and women 
because your spirit works through the people even within this building. Thank you for your love, Lord. And help us today as we look into your word to remember how important it is that we share your love. Because God love speaks. I pray that in Jesus' holy name and all that agree say, Amen. I want to read you a text you probably haven't read often. I'd confess that I hadn't. I was doing one of those reading through the book of Proverbs things. Proverbs has 31 chapters. And so somebody said with those 31 chapters, you can read a chapter a day, and it's just full of wisdom. You know, pithy little statements like uh, if you get in an argument between two friends, it's like grabbing an angry dog by the ears, right? Moments where you go, oh, yeah, or somebody who has a whining and complaining spouse is like a roof that constantly leaks. There are those metaphors that we see and go, yeah, I get that. But then there are statements that kind of grab us and chill us. Now, in order for me to get you to understand Proverbs 24, 11, and 12, at least the way it hit me, I, I need to back up and ask a question. Is anybody here willing to admit that you would drive 10 extra bucks to save 5 cents a gallon on gas? Are you, are you the ones that know where every cheap gas station... My wife, even as we were driving here, said, Oh, look, honey, 273. How much gas do we have? I bet we can put a little more gas in the car. Because when you spot... I, if, 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 you're like, if you're like my family, boy, we watch out for those things. Well, about eight years ago, when we were living in, in uh, North Carolina... A Christian radio station came up with what I thought was a brilliant plan. They said, we want to let our community know we care about them, so we're going to give away free gasoline, which got the whole town's attention. Now, their call letters, were, or their num- station number was 93.5, so they said, we're going to give away 93 and a half seconds of free gas. But we're only going to do it when our mobile van comes to your gas station. So keep your eyes peeled. And if you see the van pull in, we're going to be there for 93 and a half minutes. And as many cars as we can get to come through, we'll give each one of them 93.5 seconds of gas. Well, the whole town is talking about this. And I'm thinking, there is no way, of course, I'm ever going to see. It's a town of a million people and pretty good size. And what's the chances of me seeing? I am driving to church. Now, this is on a Tuesday. I am heading to my office because we're going to have our staff meeting when I see I'm driving this way, and here comes the van, 93.5, driving that way. Man, I immediately made a very legal U-turn, and I got behind the van, and I thought, dude, I'm just following you. Drove right down to the gas station not far from my house, pulled in. I was like the second person in line. I was stoked. And I was sitting there, and I, the lady came around and said, Hi, we're here for... I said, I know, 93.5, I'm a minister, thanks for what you do. She said, great. She said, now, which kind of gas do you want? Of course, <laughs> the most expensive one, baby. <laughs> My car was saying, well, I've never seen this before. What is this gas? But she put it in. She even had a stopwatch and clicked it. And she watched 93.5 seconds of gold going in my tank. It was awesome. She talked to me about the Christian radio station. And I shared with her some things our church was doing. It was just, it was one of those times. I know it may not have been a lot of gas, but I felt like, yes, I hit the lottery. And then it hit me. My wife, she drives this big old gas guzzler. And I thought, oh my goodness, 
So I got on the phone while I was sitting there and they were finishing up. I said, Catherine, where are you? She said, I'm at Walmart. I said, leave everything. Get over here now. So what do you mean? I said, we're right here at Providence. So boy, she got out of there and I drove on back and I'm thinking, oh, did she make it? She, she texted me. I got it. I'm in line. Yes. But then I thought about Carlos. Car- Carlos Buenrostro is a dear friend who is in one of our um, uh, Bible study we have during the week. He'd started a business. The business wasn't going so well. So things were kind of tight. Man, I texting Carlos, you know, and got him on the speakerphone. Carlos. He said, yeah. I said, man, where are you? He said, well, I'm at home. I said, you get in your car and you drive over to Promenade because the 93.5 van is there. No way. Yes. So, man, as I pull in, my phone rings back and he says, I'm here. I'm in line. I'm going to get it, man. I'm going to get it. I said, awesome, Carlos. I got my things, walked in the building. He's texting me. I made it. Got the gas. Thanks, pastor. You know, I walked into my meeting just feeling great. Well, we always start our meetings by going around saying, hey, what's something good God's done in your life, right? And so I say, hey, I'll start. It's a simple thing, but I told the whole story about being there, about calling Catherine, about calling Carlos. And I noticed that my secretary, who'd worked with me for like 16 years, was sitting there like this. And I finally said, Kathy, what's wrong? Anybody know what she was thinking? What was she thinking? Yeah, how come you didn't call me? She put it this way. She said, well, it's good to know you have friends. (laughs) And then my youth minister said, yeah, way to go. Way to go, Jeff. That's really cool. And it dawned on me as I looked around the room, I wasn't even thinking about, oh, man. Have you ever had one of those moments where you just went, oh, I missed an important opportunity to share something good with somebody else? We have a word for that in the church. A word is evangelism, which is a fancy way of saying, telling somebody else the good news. As Catherine and I drove through your neighborhood here, we saw the houses, manicured lawns, saw people coming and going. I'll even confess we stopped at a little donut shop around the corner and uh, Grabbed a maple bar at Cherry's. I don't know if you've been to Cherry's Donuts, but it's pretty good. There was a bunch of people in there. So we drove on here. I'll admit, Bruce, it didn't dawn on me to say to anybody at Cherry's, hey, follow us, because there's this great church right around the corner with a bunch of people who love God. And if you don't know it, God has an awesome plan to save your life and to give you eternity with him in heaven. I don't know how many people you passed today. I don't know who you saw yesterday at a game, at the mall, at the market. You know, it's easy, isn't it? It's easy for us to forget that one of Jesus' commands to his disciples was go into all the world and preach the gospel to... Anybody know the rest of that? All creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever doesn't believe will be condemned. But here's that proverb text I wanted to get to. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. Pause for a second and let's see if we can get into this this strange text. He says, if you see somebody who is heading into death, heading into trouble, 
Just imagine that uh, because of some winds, a power line had been blown down right where your apartment or where your house is. And you come out and you go, whoa, and you see the sparks and you realize, man, that is... And then you see a jogger who's got his earbuds in, sunglasses on, doesn't seem to be paying much attention, and he's running straight for that live wire. He says, if you see somebody heading towards death, he says, you need to rescue them. And do you see what he says next? I'm going to ask you to read the part with me that's in the, uh, in the uh, quotation marks. But if you say... Okay, let's try that one more time. But we knew nothing about this, and I need you to give me, give me one of these. You know, you know how when you grab one of you, did you see that? And the kid goes, well, I don't, you know, I don't know nothing about nothing, right? All right. You, you, surely you remember that. Jeff, Judy, and Jim were in our house. That's my little sister and little brother. And man, when there was a crash in the other room, and my mom would say, what's going on? Come in here. What happened? And what did all three kids say? I don't know nothing, right? You know, I didn't see anything. What happened to Randy Sterling? Bruce said, I don't know. You know, I didn't see anything. Let's, let's see if we can say it together. But if you say, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? And will he not repay everyone according to what? What they've done. It's a heavy text. And the point is, if you and I know that there is a Jesus who loves us, and a God who sent him, and a Holy Spirit who's willing to dwell in us, and a church that's created for us, and a heaven that's waiting for us, and we say, nothing, then would it be any wonder? If folks wouldn't cross their arms like my secretary did or give me the look like the youth minister I work with did and say, excuse me, you live next door to me and you knew this and you said nothing? Now, read a survey that said there's a reason Christians, some hold back from speaking. In fact, two top reasons that Christians don't tell their neighbors about Jesus. Just out of curiosity, how many Christians do we have here today? If you've, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, if you've been baptized in his name, just raise your... Yeah, if you won't, if you won't own up in here, you're toast out there, all right? So, so I'm going to give you one more shot at that. Raise your hand high if you're a believer in Jesus and a follower of Christ. Praise God. Okay, so the vast majority of all of us in here, we say, yeah, yeah, been there, done that, got this. Let me see if you agree. The two top reasons that this survey said people keep quiet about Jesus... The number one top reason was, oh, I don't know enough. Because I'm afraid they might, you know, Bruce, they might ask me a tough question, right? They might ask me, you know, what about the dinosaurs? Or uh, did Adam have a navel? You know, the kind of questions you go, man, I'm, you know, I'm really not sure. Where did Cain get his wife? You know, those, those kind of questions. Or questions about eternity. Or questions about demons or angels. Many Christians say, I can't start a conversation with somebody about Jesus because I don't know all the answers. I don't know enough. The other answer was, top answer, oh, I don't don't talk to people about Christ because I'm not good enough. Now, this one goes like this. If I go next door to my neighbor and say, hey, we're having this great thing at our church, want you to come to it, he's going to say, 
you're a Christian? Dude, I've seen the way you yell at your wife and cuss your kids, so you're a Christian, huh? Did that just happen today? Did you just, you know, uh, did you just get converted? I don't know enough or I'm not good enough. Now, I don't know which one of those rings most in your head, but I want to tell you a Bible story, actually read you one, from Mark chapter 5, that for me helps me to understand God can use every single one of us to share Christ with others. It goes like this. It's, the, it's one of the weirdest Bible stories, and we'll have to do it fast. But you can study it in, in depth later. Mark chapter 5. Starts in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Okay, who's the they? Well, it's Jesus and his disciples. So I want you to see Jesus and about 12 guys in a boat. And they're rowing across the Sea of Galilee, also called the Lake of Gennesaret. I've actually been blessed to be there. It really isn't, it isn't terribly huge. If you've been to Lake Arrowhead, say, for instance, uh, the Sea of Galilee is not much bigger than Lake Arrowhead. It's, a, it's just a nice, big lake. It's more kind of round. It's this big oval. And you can look across to the other side. So imagine these 12 guys in the boat with Jesus. Now, when you go to the other side, you need to note that that was more the Gentile side from where they're heading from the Jewish side of the lake to the other. But the Bible says when they got over there... Jesus got out of the boat, and a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, this story is going to get weird, so kind of buckle your seatbelts. Jesus pulls up, it seems, with his disciples next to a cemetery. Only cemeteries in those days and in that region don't look like cemeteries here. You go to a cemetery here, like up the Riverside Cemetery where my grandmother is buried, it's flat. You know, you got the little low gravestones. Now, some of the older ones have some of these, you know, kind of upright monoliths. But do you know what gravestones would look like in their day? They weren't stones at all. They built these little stone houses. And when grandma or grandpa died, you'd put them in what's called a sarcophagus, which we call a coffin, which was a waiting place. Because you'd let, sorry, this gets a little gross, you'd let the body decompose. Until there's nothing but what? Bones. And you take the bones out and you put the bones in your family's tomb. So you could put all kinds of bones of a lot of different relatives in these little death houses. Now, when feast days would come or festivals, they'd paint white on the outside of them. Basically whitewash them. Which is why Jesus says at one point, you know, you're like the tombs. White on the outside, dead men's bones on the inside. Hypocrisy, Jesus is talking about. But imagine you get out of the boat, and here's all of these little houses of the dead, and then you hear a scream. It's a scream of a demon-possessed man, according to the Scriptures. All four of the Gospels tell this story. This guy comes running out of the tombs towards Jesus. Now, this is what the Bible says about him. He says, the man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue this guy. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he'd cry out and cut himself with stones. Is this weird? Right? What's wrong with this guy? Scripture says he's demon possessed. One of the other gospel writers tells us he's naked. So he is completely naked and totally crazy. And he comes running out of the tombs, screaming. He's got bits of chain and rope hanging onto him. You know why he did? Because people tried to tie him up. You say, why'd they try to tie the poor guy up? 
Do you want to have grandma's funeral down there and have naked crazy Harry come leaping over the casket, right? That would mess the ceremony up big time. So if you were going to go out to the tombs, you'd try and tie the old boy up, but he broke the chains and broke the ropes. So everybody knew the crazy man out at the tombs, except, of course, Jesus and his disciples from the other side of the lake, so they didn't know. So they come across the lake, and they get out. You, you think about you being one of the disciples. It's creepy already that we pulled up to the tombs. But as you take a few steps, and down the hill comes running this screaming, crazy, naked guy running at you. What do you do? Yeah. I jump in the boat and row, right? And say, Jesus, you walk and meet us on the other side, man. I'm out of here. But Jesus is saying, come out of him. Come out of him. Come out of him. Because the demons are saying, what are you doing? Why do you want to torture us? You see, the demons, Jesus says to the man, what's your name? He answers, our name is Legion, for we are many. When's the last time somebody told you when you asked, what's your name? Oh, our name is, what do you mean, our? Well, the word Legion, you know what the word Legion means? It's like platoon is the basic meaning of the word. It's like a thousand soldiers. So when he says, our name is a thousand, for we are many. What do you think that sounded like? Multiple personalities, right? Our name is Legion, for we are many. Shut up, move over. I mean, all these, all these demons inside this guy. So he is, abs- the guy doesn't even tell him his name. It's the demons that answer. And Jesus is saying, come out of them, come out of him. And the demons are begging. By the way, note, next time somebody freaks out about demons, just remember this, in every story where demons encounter Jesus, demons beg, Jesus commands. Jesus is the Lord of all. Can I get an oh yeah? yeah? So if you get freaked out or worried or bumps in the night, just remember, right? You've got it over there. Jesus is Lord. The demons know that too, the Bible says. They, they, they tremble at the name of Jesus. So here's Jesus saying, come out of him. And the demons say, oh, don't cast us into the abyss. I don't know exactly where or what that is. But the demons beg us, let us go into some other form, it seems. And here's where it gets good. There are 2,000 pigs. Grazing on the hillside, the Bible says. And Jesus lets the demons go in the pigs. Think about it. 2,000 pigs, each with its own personal demon. The Bible says, all of a sudden the pig, about 2,000 in number it says, rush down the steep bank into the lake and drown themselves. Is anybody thinking, what a day? Right? By the way, side note. Anytime you turn yourself over to Satan, expect self-destruction. Remember what the man was doing? Cutting himself and crying. What did the pigs do? They killed themselves. Anytime I turn myself over through selfishness and through saying, Satan, I'm just going to go your way. He may lie to you until you've won the lottery. What you actually want is a lot of pain and sorrow. Can I get a oh yeah? We all know what we're talking about here. So these, these pigs run down in the lake. Now, at this, the disciples must have thought, well, this can't get any weirder, but it did. Because the Bible says that those tending the pigs, yeah. the language there indicates they weren't the owners, okay? They didn't own the pigs. They were just the swine boys, right? The, 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 the pig pokers, the, the, the hog watchers. I mean, they were just there to watch I mean, you know, how much, you don't need a degree to watch the pigs, right? I mean, it's just like, we just watch them, you know, and and we get paid. Only all of a sudden, now all of them are dead, and they're flipping a shekel to see who's going to go tell the boss back in the city. 
when they I'd have given I'd given a buck to see that saying, well, sir, we don't know exactly what happened. Um, all of a sudden, I was just standing there, and one of the big ones went, and then just shoo, they just ran down. Yep, no, we didn't lose them, sir. They're all floating in the lake right now. Two thousand. It looks like a pig pontoon bridge. You can walk right across to Caesarea. It's pretty amazing. The Bible says the word spread through the town. Did you hear what happened to the pigs? And the whole town came out to see it, right? They didn't have Netflix, so they're like, hey, let's go, man. 2,000 pigs floating in the lake. Never seen that. So out they come, and they saw two amazing sights. Sight one, 2,000 pigs floating. Mommy, look, there's a mommy and three little babies. You know, so sad, right? Swine suicide. Somebody says it's the first ever time in Scripture uh, talking about deviled ham. And, and then, <laughs> take your time, and then... Sight number two, they looked over this way, and somebody said, isn't that the crazy guy? And they said, no, he's got clothes on. That can't be the crazy guy. Because the Bible says the ex-demon-possessed man was dressed and in his right mind and sitting at the feet of, somebody tell me, Jesus. The pigs are dead. The man's born again. And what did the people of the town say? The Bible says the mayor of the town stepped up and shook Jesus' hand and said, Thank you. Thank you for setting this demon-possessed man free from the bondage he... You know that's not what happened, right? You know what the text says? The text says the people of the town came out to see it, and they... Oh, back up one if you would. Or is there one right before that? Yeah. Then the people, everybody read the last sentence. Then the people began to, to do what? They basically said, will you please get out of here? I don't know if they were scared. Oh, look what he did to the pigs. He'll do that to the chickens next. I, you know, I don't know what their concern was. But they were appropriately freaked out. But unfortunately, they weren't saying, oh, look, you saved this man's life. No, they said, look what you've done to our economy. And so Jesus says, okay. By the way, note about evangelism. We are not called to stuff Jesus down anybody's throat. We're not called to go to people that we work with or people we go to school with or people we live with and say, you need to get yourself to church and you're coming with me or you're going to hell and drag them by the ear. No. Now, I know some of your grandmas did that to you and that's okay. Some of our parents did that to us too, right? I, I had a drug problem when I was very young. My mom drugged me to church every single <laughs> Sunday. But Jesus, Jesus says, okay, I'll leave. No problem. My dad used to say, everybody's got the right to be wrong. That's fine. So Jesus and the disciples go to get in the boat. And as they're leaving, who do you think wants to get in the boat and go with them? The ex-crazy guy. I know. I don't blame him. Would you want to go back into the town? You'd been running naked through the streets, right? Would you want to go back and have people say, well, it's good to see less of you, man. I mean, that's great. I mean, how embarrassing would that have been? So the man comes to Jesus and he says, please, let me just go with you. And Jesus shocks us. Instead of saying, why, yes, come, all ye that are weary. Jesus says, no, get out of the boat. But I just, I just want to come with you. He says, no. Go home. Go to your people. By the way, that word people could be translated family. 
And sometimes this, go home to your family. Well, that breaks my heart. The guy had family. You know, you think of a crazy guy, you don't think about, that's somebody's boy. That's somebody's, in fact, one way of looking at the word family and the way Jesus uses it may mean that he was the head of a household. That means he was somebody's dad, somebody's husband. How long had that family dealt with shame? How would you like if they came up to you in school? Hey, saw your dad the other day. (laughs) I mean, I saw your dad the other day. Or in the market, women whispering behind you. You see her. She married that crazy. No, he wasn't crazy when she married him. But then he went nuts. Poor thing. Bless her heart. Sad. So when when he says, go home to your family, he's like, oh, no. But then he says, but I got an assignment for you. Go tell. Can you read these words with me? Go tell what the Lord has done. Let's give it one more shot. Go tell what the Lord has done. I think you can do better still. Go tell what the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy. Guess what he's saying? Go tell him about the free gas, man. Go tell him about the good news. Go tell them what God did for you. Don't keep this a secret. Go tell them. I've played this scene in my mind over so many times. What do you think it looked like? Mom! There's somebody banging on the door! Mom, it's Dad! Oh, baby, go get back in the closet. I'll get rid of him. Hand me the broom. I'll, I'll, I'll run him off. No, Mom, he's got clothes on. And he looks different. Sweetheart, get your sister and get back there. I'll take care of this. Can, can, you, can you, I don't know, was he married? Can you see her cracking the door? Can you see him looking back and saying, Baby, I'm okay. They're gone. Sweetheart, I'm back. It's me. Would she let him in? Would she believe him? Would she cry? Would she hug his neck? And then, of course, what's she going to say? She's going to say, how did this happen? And he's going to say, that's what I got to tell you. There's this guy named who changed my life. Remember those two reasons Christians don't tell their friends? I don't know enough. This guy had not gotten a degree from Hope, okay? Or Pepperdine. He hadn't studied theology. He hadn't been to Sunday school, right? Or Sabbath school. Here's what he knew. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. I'm not good enough. I don't imagine any of you have run through your neighborhoods naked recently, right? I mean, if you have, okay. Uh, This guy had too. But it didn't hold him back from saying, dude, I may not know enough, and I may not be good enough, but I'll tell you what, Jesus is worth me speaking because love speaks. Can everybody say love speaks? Love speaks. If I care about you, I'm going to speak up about the good news and about the bad news. Now, 
we're about to end this service. And there's a city full of people out there, some of which you know. Some of them go to school with you. Some of them work with you or live down the street from you. Or they cut your hair or this the guy that bags up your groceries or it's the fella at the gas station. What will we do? What will Crosspoint do? We got Whittier Extravaganza coming up. Easter Sunday is coming. My, let's just make it clear. Next Sunday's coming. You do them every seven days here, don't you? Every seven days you do a Sunday. All right, I tell you what. That means every seven days you've got an opportunity to say to that person who lives in the apartment across the hall, hey, what are you doing on Sunday? Oh, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. Just push all that stuff to the back because if Crazy Harry can come back and say, let me tell you. You say, what am I supposed to say to them? Well, why don't we just use, why don't we just use God's words through Jesus to him? Go tell what the Lord has done for you. Can you say it with me? Go tell what the Lord has done for you. My dad used to do it this way. He said, anytime I can tell somebody four things God's done for me. I said, what's that? First, he's given me a father who will never leave me. Jesus says, as the fathers love me, so I've loved you. You see, I have a father who will never leave me. Bruce, I know, has told you many wonderful things about my dad, who was a great, great man. But I need you to know, he may not have told you, my dad left our family when, he was, when I was 21 years old. He left my mom, and he left three kids. Now, understand, the reason he left was because of a brain tumor that took his life. But I was 21 years old. While I watched my dad die. He never met my wife. He never met my kids. And I'll just be honest. I miss that. I say a lot of weddings, you know, as a preacher. And so there's this moment when the wedding starts. You know who some of the first people to come in at the wedding are? The grandparents. Well, my mom and dad are gone. So when my son gets married, Lord willing, no grandparents. Not on our side. Now, I can sit around and go, oh, man, that just sucks. Or I can stop and say, you know what? I have a father who will never leave me because I'll never be too old to crawl up into my Heavenly Father's lap and say, Heavenly Father, here's my hurts or here's my joys. Because when you become a Christian, you're adopted by God. Can I get an oh yeah from you? That means no matter how old I am, I will always have a Father who will never leave me. Second, I not only have a Father who will never leave me, I have a family who will always love me. How sweet that no matter where I am in the world, I've got family. When my little brother Jim was born, and uh, Jane and Bruce will remember my little brother because he was something else. When my little brother was born, my sister and I, there was a, a I want to say, a four-year gap, five-year gap between us and our little brother. And we'd had a time to kind of grow up and become a family of four. I don't know if you know this, but the world is made for families of four. You go to McDonald's, there's four chairs around the table. 
You go to Disneyland, there's four seats in the ride. I mean, four just works. And then my mom and dad came and said, we're going to have, you're going to have a little brother. And my sister and I were like, no, we're good. You know, we, we, sure enough, we have this little brother. And it, those of you who remember what it's like when you've got kids who are up out of diapers and they're, 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 they're cool. Then all of a sudden you get the diaper kid again. Everything revolves around the diaper baby, right? Crying at night and change your little brother and hold your little brother. And then they put the bucket seat, right? The baby carrier in the seat between my sister and I. And all of a sudden we are cramped in the back seat of the car. There's no room back here anymore. What's up with this? But at the same time, we had a speaker come to the church in Redlands and talk about adoption. How there are many families who just wish they could have a child. And Judy and I talked and thought, we need to adopt Jimmy to a family that would really love him. Because we got four and we got plenty, right? Oh, make a long story short, we did a petition in our neighborhood and got a bunch of the neighborhood kids to sign, yeah, it's okay to adopt this child to a family. And I took it to my mother, who was not laughing. And when my dad got home, he sat me down and said to me and Judy, do you know how we got your little brother? And I thought, oh, no. Don't, don't, don't do this with Judy sitting here, Daddy. Please. Oh, no. But no, he said, God gave us your little brother and we don't have the right to kick him out of this family because God put him in it. That means when you choose Jesus, nobody has to vote you in because God adopts you in. Can you say, oh yeah? That means when somebody's baptized, there's nobody here saying, wait a minute, hold it now, before you get baptized here, uh, how much do you make, and what kind of car do you drive, and tell me a little bit about your parents, and by the way, are those the best shoes you got? Uh Uh-uh, that's not the way how it works. It works like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. You have a family that will never be able to leave you, that will never stop loving you. Because that's what family is. Tap that person next to you on the shoulder and say, you're stuck with me. Go ahead and tell them that. Yeah, that's right. Thirdly, quickly, I not only have a father who will never leave me and a family who will always love me, but praise God. Punch that again, bro, if you would, up there. I've got forgiveness for all my sins. 